0: Acts chapter 16 verse 14 says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The Bible says there was a woman named Lydia and she... One day heard the Apostle Paul speaking. She went to prayer, and she didn't know Paul was going to be there. And Paul was speaking, but it says that the Lord opened her heart to hear or to heed the things spoken by Paul. Do you know what the word heed means? It means to give attention to, to pay attention, to pay close attention Like you're doing now. And when someone tells us to do something, when your parents tell you to do something, or more importantly, when God tells us to do something, and we pay close attention to what God tells us to do, why are we paying close attention to what God tells us to do? So that we will obey. That's right. And the Bible says that God opened Lydia's heart and she gave close attention to the things spoken by Paul. Do you know that God has to open our hearts to hear his word, to hear his good news? And when God opens our heart, he does that so that we will pay close attention so that we will obey do you believe God has done that for you? Do you believe God has opened your heart to hear his truth? Yes. Well, I believe that too. And God has opened your heart to hear the truth so that you will obey him. I like your prayer request today, Simeon, that God would give us grace to obey. Do you know that's a prayer request? That's something we should pray, all of us. It doesn't matter if we're young young. It doesn't matter if we're old. We all need to pray that God would give us grace to obey. You eat a lot of food because you're going to grow up like your mama and dad. That's great. And when you grow up and as you grow up, are you going to obey Jesus? Are you going to obey Jesus now? Are you going to obey Jesus as you grow up? Are you going to obey Jesus when you get old and big? Yeah. You know, when we start obeying Jesus, wait till we get old and big or start now when we're young. Start now. So, you know, it is a great prayer for us to pray. Not just that God would give us grace to obey, but that God would open our hearts. We need an open heart to God every day so that we can Pay close attention to what he says. And we know what he says by reading his word, right? Gluck, gluck, gluck. We drink that milk. We eat that word. Read, read, read. And we pay close attention. That's right. And we obey God. And the Bible says when we do that, we'll walk in God's blessing. And that's good news, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All right, y'all ready? You're going to hear the rest of the story now? Okay. Thank you. I'm going to read the rest of the verse, and then we're going to pray for all of us, young and old, that we would hear and obey Acts 16, verses 11 through 15. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight across to Samothrace. And the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, this gospel, that is the power of God to salvation. We ask that you would, Lord, just as you did for Lydia, open our hearts to hear the words spoken by the apostle Paul, to hear the word of the Lord spoken by men. Open our hearts and give us ears to hear. Father, we ask that you would pour this grace out upon us, that we would be a people changed and transformed, conformed to the image of Jesus, changed for your glory, that we would be your witnesses, your light in this dark world. Father, we ask that you would do this for your glory, that you would be glorified in your church, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit, if you remember. Last week, we looked at Paul going through Asia, and the Scripture said that Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to continue preaching the gospel in Asia at that time. And God directed the Apostle Paul and his party west into Macedonia from the continent of Asia to the continent of Europe. And we discussed the historical impact that has had that change of direction had upon the world. And our text from Acts 16 gives us the first recorded converts to Christianity on the European continent. In the verses we just read, we see that the gospel goes from Asia to Europe. Therefore, sailing from Troas, which was on the western coast of Asia, we ran straight course, to Samothrace, which was an island in the Aegean Sea, and the next day came to Neapolis, which means new city, which was on the eastern coast, the southern and eastern coast of Macedonia. In obedience to God's call, Paul sailed from Troas on the western coast of Asia. He sailed northwest across the Aegean Sea and landed in the port city of Neapolis, And on the southern coast of Macedonia, on the European continent, the gospel had now come to Europe. And this was the beginning of a change that would take place, a change in the world that we still experience the blessing of today. In verse 12 it says, From there... They went to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Luke writes this and describes Philippi as the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. Paul and his party made their way from that city on the coast to Philippi, which Luke called the foremost city. Philippi was not the original capital city of that region but it had become a very prominent city the fact that it was a Roman colony and there were gold mines in that vicinity made this a city of great influence and more than likely a city of great wealth it's called a colony what does that mean it was a Roman colony which meant that it was considered Roman soil It was a city that was colonized by retired Roman soldiers. And the Romans, when they would colonize a place, it meant that the citizens of Philippi would have the same rights as a citizen of Rome or a citizen of Italy. The Romans divided the world into those who were citizens and those who were strangers, kind of like the Jews were either you were a Jew or you were everything else, a Gentile. Well, the Romans were similar. If you were from Italy, you were a citizen. If you were not, you were a stranger. And as the Roman Empire went and expanded, they would colonize and they would have these cities that were called colonies. And if you lived in that city, if you were born in that city, it was... You were living on Roman soil and you had all the rights as a citizen of Rome. Saul of Tarsus was a citizen of Rome for this reason. It wasn't that Paul was born in Rome. It was that Paul was born in an area of the empire that was considered Roman soil and he was born with all the rights. And it says, Paul writes, and we were or Luke writes, and we were staying in that city for some days. So as Paul's custom was, they were waiting for the Sabbath when they knew that the Jews and the devout men would be gathering for worship and prayer. And as Paul's custom to go into the Sabbath or to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And they come to Philippi and they're waiting for the Sabbath. But it turns out, obviously, there was not a synagogue in Philippi. But there was a place where prayer was made. And on, in verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. On the Sabbath day, this was the Jewish Sabbath, the day of rest, the day of worship. We went out of the city. They went out of the gates of the city and they went down to the river where they knew there would be a place of prayer. There was no synagogue in the city of Philippi. When we get to chapter 17, verse 1, Paul had to go all the way to Thessalonica before he found a synagogue. But the apostles went outside the city to seek the place of prayer. Because they knew there would be one because customarily this is what the Jews did. If there were Jews in a city, whether there was a synagogue or not, there was always a place of prayer to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. Why? By the riverside. They knew there would be a place near water. In this case, it was near the riverside. Because prayer was customarily made near water. The Jews built their synagogues and they built their places of prayer. They built their temple right over the Gihon Spring where there would be water, plentiful water for all of the centuries of sacrifice that would take place in that temple. Well, as they built synagogues throughout the Babylonian Empire as they were dispersed and now in the Roman Empire as they had been dispersed for centuries, and lived in these areas, wherever they went, they would have a place of prayer. And it was customarily near water because of all of the ceremonial ritual washings that were associated with offering prayer to God. So Paul knew, if there's not a formal synagogue, there was a place of prayer. And this place of prayer would have been customarily established to offer regular prayers to God. And this place of prayer was more than likely an open air shelter, not not necessarily a roof, but an enclosure near the river where they would have gathered and they would have offered prayer. And Paul says, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So understand, they weren't just sitting on the riverbank tossing rocks in the river and praying to God, there actually was a place that was established where they would go and they would do their customary prayers and they would follow the traditions of prayer of their people. And Paul and his party go there, and it says that they sat down and spoke to the women who met there. And from this record, it would stand to reason that there was no synagogue in Philippi. More than likely because it was a Roman colony. Maybe they weren't allowed to have a synagogue. Maybe there weren't enough resources to establish a synagogue there. But there was always a place where prayer would be offered. And this is where Paul and, his, and, and the other disciples went. And they sat down there among the women in this place that prayer would be offered. It doesn't say anything about men being there. We can't assume there were not men there. But for some reason, Paul sits down and it is among the women. And verse 14 says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. So a picture this, they're there for prayer. Paul goes and Paul, as is custom, after prayers were offered, Paul begins to share the gospel. This is why he went. Yes, he went to pray. Yes, he went to worship. But he always went. To share the gospel. This was how the gospel was shared. Going from city to city. Going into synagogues. And it wasn't just Jews remember. There were Gentile converts. And the the gospel was preached not just to the Jews. But it was preached also to the Gentiles. And so in this place of prayer. There was a certain woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple. From the city of Thyatira. She worshipped God. The scripture tells tells us, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Lydia was a common name for Greek and Roman women at that time, a very common name, but it also says that Lydia was from the city of Thyatira, and Thyatira was in a region of Asia called, guess what? Lydia. The name Lydia could also indicate the region that she came from, or it might have just been more than likely just a common name, a very common name for Greek and Roman women at that time. It says she was a seller of purple. Lydia was a seller of purple fabric. Purple fabric was very highly prized, it was very unusual. Remember, they didn't have Walmarts or Hobby Lobbies or uh, Joanne Fabric where you could just go to the fabric store and buy purple fabric. It wasn't that easy. And the purple fabric was made by taking a shellfish and they would crush this fish and it had its blood was purple. It had a secretion in it, and along with this this purple that would come out of crushing this fish and its blood, they would take that and they would make a purple dye. And it was very expensive, and it was very highly sought after. This is what the robes of the emperors. In Rome, purple, they wore purple robes, not just Romans, but throughout history, purple was the royal color, and more than likely because it was so rare and it was so expensive and it was so difficult to come by. And so those wealthy and those born in nobility, those that had the means were able to buy these purple fabrics. In other words, the common person didn't wear this fabric. The common person couldn't afford to To have a garment that was made or dyed from this special dye, made from this special fish. And it was a dye that wouldn't fade. And so the Jewish priest also, it was used in the temple, it was used in the tabernacle. It had been used throughout history. The fringes along the, the prayer shawls and the garments of the priest were dyed with this purple color, and it was not, it wouldn't fade. It was. Very color fast, very expensive. This is what Lydia did. She was a seller of purple. So she was a seller of purple fabric and maybe even a seller of the dye itself. This was a very important enterprise in the ancient world. As this purple was in high demand among those wealthy and those noble. And the fact that Lydia was a seller of purple could imply that Lydia was a woman of some means. She may have carried her business enterprise with her from Thyatira. She may have had servants and even slaves that made up her household as part of her business enterprise. The women of Macedonia may have enjoyed, history tells us, a greater degree of freedom than women in other parts of the world at that time. And that environment of expanded freedom and opportunity, along with the wealth from the city's political and natural resources, may have contributed to Lydia being in Philippi. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we know Lydia was a seller of purple. And she came from the city of Thyatira. Lydia lived and conducted her business in Philippi, but she was from Thyatira. And the city of Thyatira was famous as a center for the trade in purple. That's what Thyatira was famous for. It had a rich history all the way back. Even Homer wrote about it. All the way back into Greek history and beyond Greek history, this region was famous. It was known for its guilds of craftsmen and merchants who were skilled makers and sellers of purple. And the fact that Lydia was a seller of purple from Thyatira was not accidental. She may have made a good business decision and went to Philippi. She could have been married to a man who took her to Philippi. It doesn't tell us. But what it does tell us is that she was a seller of purple and that she worshipped God. Lydia worshipped God. That means she could have been Jewish or she could have been a proselyte, a Gentile convert to Judaism. Jewish or Greek, she was a worshipper of God. And the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart now, she was a worshiper of God, but her heart wasn't open. And you might think, well, the fact that she was a worshiper of God, isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. Jesus went to his own people who were all worshipers of God, and they rejected him and they crucified him. Though Lydia worshipped the God of Israel, her heart had not been opened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. She worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but she did not know her Messiah. She had likely never heard the gospel preached until Paul appeared that day. The word opened here, the Lord opened Lydia's heart. It's from an old word that means to open up wide. To open completely, it's a Greek word that has, uh, it's a compound word, and it has this word dia in it. Dia means two, and the picture is like, I don't know if you have in your house, or have you ever been, it's like that door back there. You see that door? It's a double door. We can open one side of the door and say the door is open, but it's not completely open. This word, he opened Lydia's heart, is a word that pictures he opened wide, completely. It's like a double door that doesn't just have one side open. It's got both sides open. Lydia's heart was laid wide open for the gospel. God did that. She was a worshiper of God, but God had to open her heart so that the gospel, the truth, could come in. This is the same word that's used in Luke 24, 45 when it says that Jesus opened the mind of the disciples to understand the scriptures. This is a prayer we should pray that God would open our hearts, that God would open our minds to the truth because we need his truth every day. We need to feed on his spiritual food and his truth every day. We know that we need food every day, and we need it. we eat every day, multiple times a day. And when our bodies don't get food, our bodies let us know. we don't have a problem. We never say, "Well, I've eaten food before, and it didn't work for me. I don't eat food anymore." Funny how that works, right? We eat food constantly. And we know that we need food so that our bodies can continue to function. Guess what? You need spiritual food so that you can continue to function spiritually. It's not good enough to say, I read the Bible last week or last month or last year. No, you need to read it. You need to consume the Word daily, multiple times a day, throughout the day, in, in various ways. The opening of Lydia's heart was also the opening of her mind and her eyes and her ears. This is true for all who God moves upon to open their hearts. God opened Lydia's heart to give close attention to the things spoken by Paul. To heed the things spoken by Paul, the scripture says. The opening of Lydia's heart was God's work. The attending or giving heed to the things spoken was hers. God opened her heart, but Lydia gave close attention to the things that Paul spoke. This this shows us the work of God and the responsibility of man. Man cannot fulfill his responsibility to heed God's word apart from the work of God to open man's heart. God opens our heart that we may attend to his word. This is our responsibility. So Lydia gives heed, she attends to the words spoken by the Apostle Paul. And what were those words? It was the gospel. Paul proclaimed Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Paul gave them the gospel that Christ came, that Christ lived. He was crucified, he died, was buried, he rose again, ascended to the Father, and that he is the Savior of the world. And however Paul preached the gospel, whatever Paul communicated to Lydia and those women sitting there, the scripture tells us in verse 15, and when she and her household were baptized, God opened her heart and she gave close attention. She heeded the words of Paul. And when, her, when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. When she and her household were baptized, Lydia, giving heed to the words spoken, resulted in what? Faithful obedience to Christ. To trust in Jesus is not only to hear his words, but to obey him. And what did Jesus command his disciples, recorded for us as he is ascending? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. This is exactly what Paul did. This is exactly what happened. Lydia, a worshiper of God, which meant that she was already either born Jewish or converted to Judaism, would have had no reason under Judaism to be baptized. She was either already Jewish or she had already undergone proselyte baptism. But she hears the words spoken by Paul, and the next thing we know, the scripture says, When she and her household were baptized, past tense. So, with the preaching of the gospel came the baptizing of the, the disciples, the converts. Lydia's baptism was without delay, and this is consistent with the baptisms we see performed by Peter and Paul that took place the same day, Acts 2.38, Acts 2.41. What must we do to be saved? Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of your sins, Peter preaches Acts 10.47, when Peter Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and he preaches to the Gentiles and the Spirit of God falls on them, Peter says, what What forbids us? Cornelius said, what forbids us from being baptized? And Peter says, "Uh, nothing. And they were immediately baptized. When Philip is preaching and all of a sudden he's translated by the Lord and he's Let down on the road between Jerusalem, heading south out to the Negev desert. And the Ethiopian eunuch is riding his chariot, going back home after the feast of Pentecost. And he's riding his chariot, he's reading the scroll of Isaiah and Philip shows up out of nowhere, literally. And he says, who can explain to me what I'm reading here? Philip says, I will. And from Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, he preaches the gospel. He reveals Christ to him. And the eunuch says, look, here is water. What what hinders me from being baptized? And the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch took place upon his conversion. A Jew who understood now That Jesus was his Messiah. In other words, God opened his heart. He gave close attention to the word and he obeyed. Baptism is a point of obedience that should not be delayed. As soon as possible, those who are in Christ, who identify as his covenant people, should be baptized. For the covenant people of Israel, when a son was born after eight days... And we have a scientific understanding of why eight days, but we don't need a scientific understanding. Eight days after the birth of that son, he was circumcised. In other words, he received the sign of the covenant. Here's the good news of a better covenant made with better promises. Now in Christ, there is no longer male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian, Scythian. But all are one in Christ. Now in Christ, any and all can receive the sign of the covenant, which is baptism. And when should we receive that sign? As soon as possible. For children. Young. For adults. Old. For those who had never been baptized, yet professed faith in Jesus. Jesus. They need to be baptized upon their profession of faith. For those born into the covenant, baptize them and give them the sign of the covenant and teach them to live according to that covenant, to live according to the salvation of God in Jesus Christ. Baptism is an act of faithful obedience. Lydia wasn't saved by her baptism, but her baptism gave witness to her identification with Christ, who is the Savior. She was already a Jew. Why did she need to get baptized? Because she needed to identify with Christ, her Savior. She needed the identification that she was buried with Him and raised with Him. Lydia and her household were baptized. What's a household? A household was not just the family members, but it was all who lived in and were part of that household. Think about Abraham. When God gives Abraham the covenant of circumcision, he tells Abraham, you get circumcised You circumcise your your sons and all the members of your household, your servants, everyone. This would include Lydia's servants and all who were considered part of Lydia's household enterprise. The household, in classical understanding, was was much more than the immediate family members in a home where a family ate and slept. The household was the familial and social structure and economy of a family. Therefore, the household transcends an immediate family and home to define the entire family structure and enterprise and all that it encompasses. The household includes all the people, possessions, and productivity associated with it. When it speaks of Lydia's household being baptized, it was more than her family. It would have included any servants, any slaves that she might have had, or any associates of her household. Some use the scripture to justify child baptism. The implication is that Lydia baptized the children in her household. If Lydia did have children in her household, I don't have any doubt that she baptized them. But we can't infer from this scripture that she had children, much less children that she baptized. If we think about who Lydia appears to be, it's likely that Lydia was an older woman beyond the age of having young children. She's possibly even a widow, since there is no mention of a husband. She also appears to be a woman of at least some, if not substantial means. Think about it. She has a house and a household large enough to accommodate Paul and his entourage for as long as they want to stay there. Come and stay with me, she says. This would make her social status elevated, which would be consistent with her occupation and her offer to house the apostles and his companions. She begged us, verse 15 says, She begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. If you have judged me faithful, there was no fear of judgment from Lydia. After God opened Lydia's heart and she gave close attention to the words spoken by the apostle, Lydia responded in faith and obedience she and her household were baptized that same day. And following her baptism, the scripture says she begged Paul and the party traveling with him to come to her house and stay. And she encouraged, which is quite contrary to the, to the environment we live in today. She encouraged Paul to judge the sincerity of her conversion. She entreats him, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And the Bible says that she persuaded them. The understanding is that Paul and the disciples would not stay in the home of someone deemed unfaithful. Lydia had no alternative motive, but only her newfound faith in Christ And she invited Paul to judge her faithfulness to the Lord. Lydia's invitation for Paul to judge her faithfulness spoke of her sincere faith. She was not afraid of Paul's judgment because she had already been judged by the gospel. And her response to the gospel was repentance and faith. God had opened Lydia's heart to the truth. Her heart was open before the Lord. It was open before the apostle and the other disciples. It was open to the world. And when we've been judged by the gospel, and our response is faith and obedience to God and Jesus Christ, we have no reason to fear any judgment. Hebrews thirteen six, the writer of Hebrews says, "...so we may boldly say..." The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? John writes in his first epistle in 1 John four seventeen and 19. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Having been saved by the love of God and having come to repentance and faith by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, there is no reason to fear. So Lydia invited Paul's judgment of her faithfulness to the Lord, of her sincerity, of her conversion, and her baptism. Paul had received a vision from God. Think about this. Paul received a vision from God of a man of Macedonia, pleading for Paul to come and help him. Paul obeys the Lord's leading. He turns west. He sails across the Aegean Sea. He lands on the European continent in southern Macedonia. He travels to Philippi, to the chief city of the region. And there he does not first convert a man. It says they wait many days. They wait several days. Well, they're waiting for the Sabbath. Probably praying. Probably asking God to open hearts. If you had received a vision from the Lord and you changed your whole course and you sailed west to a place you had never been before, I don't know about you, but if it would be me, I'm thinking, if God gave me the vision of a man, I'm looking for this guy. Is is God going to connect me with this, this man he showed me in this vision? But Paul does not first convert a man, but a woman. The first recorded convert to Christianity on the European continent is a woman. Just as the first recorded eyewitness of the resurrected Christ was a woman. And you might wonder, so what? But if you think about the lie that the world tells, that Christianity is an oppressive and demeaning Religion to women and other oppressed populations is blatantly false. It could not be more false. There could not be a narrative more false than that. Christianity continues to bring about the liberation of women and oppressed populations wherever it goes and wherever it grows. The gospel of Christ provides eternal hope and liberty for all who heed its message. There is no other social justice message or movement that can add anything to the gospel of Christ. Any attempt to supplement the gospel is actually an attempt to supplant the gospel. There is nothing we can add to the gospel that does not first detract from the gospel and its purity and its power. The gospel and the gospel alone is what the world needs. In a zeal for man's approval, many in the church today are robbing the world of the very message and the only truth that can set men free. The world's quest for what it calls diversity within an already diverse creation. Do you understand this? Look around you. Look at the diversity. Look at the diversity in this room. Look at the diversity outside when you go out today. Look at the diversity in the very smallest things you can see to the very greatest things that you can see. We live in a creation that is absolutely diverse in every way. And what is the cry of man? We need diversity it is a rejection of God. It is the creator being rejected by the creation. And this call for diversity within an already diverse creation is nothing more than the creation of a homogeneous cesspool of the justification of sin. We're not creating diversity. We're actually creating Commonality, and that commonality is sin. It's the creation of a homogeneous cesspool. We're just pouring all this sin into this container, and we're calling it diversity, and all we're doing is making a mix of sin. All we're doing is creating things that we call diversity, To justify our sinfulness, we have diversity. We need the gospel to set us free from the sin that divides and conquers us. It's not the diversity that man in his sinfulness wants, it's division. And this is exactly what the enemy does. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And to set the oppressed free. Listen to the words of Jesus quoting the, the prophet Isaiah from Luke 4.18. Jesus comes back from his temptation in the wilderness. He stands up in the synagogue. And he says these words The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to the heathen, the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Only Jesus. Jesus is who we need. We need the gospel for salvation. Only the gospel, only Jesus will do. No other way, no other name can save us. No other way, no other name can set us free. There is no other hope outside of Jesus. And you may believe that or you may not believe that. If you believe that, then God has opened your heart. If you don't believe that, then your heart needs to be open. Your prayer must be that God would open your heart. Our prayer for the world is that God would open hearts to know his truth and be set free from their sin. Their fear of judgment, the cry of the world, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. When someone tells you that, you should say to them, you better hope I judge you and you don't have to be judged by God. Because you would much rather be judged by me than to be judged by God. That cry is a cry from fear. It's a cry from rebellion. Who wants to hold on to the idol? of self-worship. The fear is the fear of losing yourself, losing your control. And we're deceived into thinking that we have control and we don't have control. And when God opens our heart, we realize, hopefully, that we we should have never wanted that control. That we Must allow God to be God, the God, the Lord of our life, the Lord and the Savior. There is no hope outside of Jesus. There is nothing we can add to the gospel to make it more effective. Nothing. And it is so disappointing to see pastors and churches. Feeling like they've got to add something to the gospel to make it more appealing, to make it more effective. To make people believe they really care. Well, if we just give them the gospel, they're not going to know we really care. That is a lie from the pit of hell. What more can you give someone other than the gospel? Because there is nothing else that can save them. In our empty words meant to try to create some feel-good sense of I don't know what, is not doing anything but deceiving people. We need to stand on the gospel, proclaim the gospel, unashamed of the gospel, and tell people without any hesitation, your only hope is the gospel. We are his creation. We are not the creator. He has given us hope, and our hope is in Jesus. And the good news is, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God opened Lydia's heart that day. and She believed in Jesus. And she identified with Jesus. And the rest is literally history. And we see later on in the New Testament, the Philippian church. And the power of the Philippian church. And the faithfulness of the Philippian church. And that's where the Philippian church began. In the place of prayer by the riverside, Paul went to Macedonia looking for a man and he found a woman instead. And the first recorded convert was a woman. And somehow from Lydia, somehow from that small beginning that Paul probably didn't see coming, but God knew all along, the Philippian church was birthed. And we still read the letter written to it today. And we still receive encouragement from it today. It had a very small beginning. But have you noticed that God doesn't despise small beginnings? So as you sit here in this small church, in this small community, thinking that the problems of this nation and the problems of the world are too big for us to make a difference, remember people like Lydia Remember Jesus born in a stable. Remember all the insignificant people and places and things God used to make a world of difference. And don't think that God won't do it again. We come to this table each week proclaiming our hope and thanking God for providing it in Jesus Christ. We come to this table to declare Jesus our hope. His body broken for us and His blood poured out for us to wash us and to cleanse us and to save us. On this ordinary Sunday, in this ordinary building, amongst ordinary people, we are invited to the most extraordinary table to worship a God that cannot be described in human terms, to remember Jesus. To thank God for Jesus. As you come to the table, trust Jesus. Thank God for Jesus and the salvation and grace He's given to us in Him. Let's all stand. God is working in the ordinary. You know, we are living in what I would call extraordinary times. I believe we're living in a time in our nation's history that is absolutely pivotal. And if you don't believe that, you need to. What happens in this upcoming election will likely determine the course of this nation over decades. And what happens in this election could very possibly cement the way of this nation in ways that could possibly be blessings for us or in ways that could possibly be extremely challenging for us moving forward. And what holds holds the determination there is God. We had a great Sunday school lesson today about prayer and providence. But God doesn't hold that apart from us. As God told Solomon, when my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, then I'll hear, then I'll heal the land. These are extraordinary times, but we all have ordinary lives to continue living. And we're tempted to look at the extraordinary circumstances, the extraordinary events that seem so much bigger than us, so much out of our control, that we stop believing God. And we stop understanding that God's working through our ordinary lives, our ordinary work, our ordinary play, our ordinary prayers, our ordinary successes, and our ordinary failures. Paul was going about his way, preaching the gospel, making disciples, doing his ordinary thing, and God changed his direction through an extraordinary vision and sends him another direction. And unknown to Paul and unknown to those with him, that ordinary obedience to God's extraordinary move would change the world. On a certain day, Lydia is going to prayer as was her custom, a very ordinary thing to do. And on that certain day, Lydia would meet a certain man. That man came looking for another man, and he had seen in a vision, and instead he meets a certain woman, unplanned. What began as ordinary would become extraordinary that day, as God would change the world of ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Like Paul and like Lydia. And so many others past and present. God is working in the ordinary to bring about the extraordinary. And that should not surprise God's people. In fact nothing God does should surprise us. As we survey his story and see all the extraordinary things he does. In the midst of the completely ordinary. Live your ordinary life, but live it well. Don't be surprised when God does the extraordinary in the midst of our ordinary. It's happening right now all around us. Even if we can't see it, even if we don't know it, trust me, it's happening. God is working in very ordinary ways to bring about extraordinary things. And we are part of that because we are His people living in this earth. This is our time of visitation. Make it count because life is short. doesn't matter how long you live. Life is short. So make your life count. Live it for His glory. Amen.